listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. During uh, my days in, in seminary, it was actually the Moody Theological Seminary, I, I took a class called Ancient Near Eastern History. Um, now I knew that wasn't going to be an exciting class for me, uh, but I had taken that in undergrad and I thought, you know, I'll be, I'll be fine. So each week of this, this class, we're given lectures to watch um, and chapters of several books to read. And I diligently watched the lectures and took notes. I, I read the assignments and I underlined important sections. Um, and again, I, I took more notes on those. And each week we were given uh, a quiz to take. And not just any quiz, uh, but this was, this was an open book quiz. Meaning if you just did these assignments, you, you can either remember the answers or at least turn quickly to find the answers. And each week I took these quizzes um, and failed miserably. And, it, you know, like it just did not make sense to me. I, I studied everything. I took notes. And each week those questions, they just looked like a different language to me. And I couldn't... I couldn't even find the answers in the, the books that we were given, and I was so discouraged, and I, I knew how much these quizzes would affect my overall grade in the class, and I didn't know what to do. So after uh, several failed attempts, I finally just emailed the professor, and I explained my situation. Uh, I explained how I, I did the work, I kindly and humbly asked him for recommendations on how to improve my study for these quizzes, and then I waited for his reply. After a couple days, um, I got a one-sentence email from him that said, you need to read more carefully. Now, I won't tell you what my thought was after carefully reading that sentence, um, but I can assure you maybe it wasn't the most kind or pastoral thought that I've ever had. It was so frustrating to fail a test each week, just question after question to reveal what you know and I didn't know. And this morning, I want to give us a test that reveals not necessarily what, what you know, but what you worship. A kind of, of test that reveals what really satisfies. A kind of test that reveals the deepest of our affections. A kind of test that, that honestly reveals the longings of, of your heart. So we'll, we'll be in Psalm 63 today. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read through the ESV. Translation, if you have a, a bulletin, it's all there. Uh, but, but before we read the main passage, let's pray together. God, we uh, humbly come before you and we, we state our dependence upon you, that we need you. We need, um, 
We need your Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, God, to reveal to us the truth of your word. For understanding that's beyond just intellectual thought, God, uh, an understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit that would change us. God, that you would reveal for each and every one of us, God, that you would reveal um, what's really going on inside what we really crave, what we really seek to satisfy, what, what our soul really thirsts for, God, what our flesh really faints for. God, that you would reveal the longings of our heart. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So Psalm 63. It says, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, O God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your, your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life will, will go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. So the background of this psalm is, is both simple and vague. We can clearly see that it is a psalm of David. As the passage says, he finds himself in the wilderness of Judah. He's either there of his own account, he's either there while being hunted by King Saul, or he's either there while being hunted by his own son, Absalom. But regardless, we find our guy in the wilderness this morning. And as we'll discover in these verses, that David, he pours out his heart before the Lord. And in so doing, reveals a test for our own hearts. So if you're a note taker, six questions for your heart. Six questions for my heart, because at the end of the day, it's not just what you know that will save you. Being a Christian is not what you know with your head. But what you know with your head that has found its way down into your heart, that's what will matter in the end, after all, David is the one who declared in Psalm 26, verse 2, Prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and my mind. So here's six questions for your heart. A test or pop quiz, if you will. Let me give you the first question. Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Verse 1 of our passage, O God, you are my God. 
Don't miss that part. It's possessive in nature. David is saying, my God, I am his and he is mine, that there must be ownership of faith in the heart. Like you're not a Christian because he was your grandparents' God or your parents' God or your preacher's God. Is he your God? And we must, all, we must all ask ourselves that in the deepest part of our heart. Have I made this thing my own? Is he my God? And if he is, well, well the next line that follows is what matters. Well, earnestly I seek you. Earnestly I seek you. It's derived from a Hebrew word meaning the dawn. So by tradition, this, this psalm was a morning psalm. So David is, is showing not only the time of day, but also the urgency in seeking the Lord. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for the Lord. My flesh faints for the Lord as in a dry and weary land. There is no water. So here's the thing. We don't have an issue feeling the need. Every person on this planet knows things. They're just... They just don't feel good. They're not the way they're supposed to be. The soul thirsts. The flesh faints. We feel this overwhelming dryness and weariness of this land. And we don't have an issue with feeling the need. That's written on our hearts. We have an issue with seeing what will actually fill that need. So there once was a woman from Samaria. She came out in the middle of the day uh, to a well, and in the heat of the sun, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And she replied, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, uh, a woman of Samaria? And, she, and Jesus, he, he kindly looked at her and responded, if you, if you knew the gift of God, and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, what, a, what a confusing thing to say. The woman, she's perplexed. She answers, sir, you have, you have nothing to draw water with. The, that well is, is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than the father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman, astonished, said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Church, there, there really is water for the soul that thirsts, for the flesh that faints, for the land that is dry and weary. There, there is such a thing as living water. Jesus says in John 7:38, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And when you drink of the living water, your heart will earnestly seek it all the days of your life and the life to come. 
When Christ becomes your living water, you will wake up with this heart's desire to seek him and, and him alone. Because if, if you don't earnestly seek the Lord, the, the, then I'll gamble that you have never tasted the sweet things of the Lord. David declares, in a dry and a weary land where there is no water, well, church, we now have the living water of eternal life, and we drink and you taste and never thirst again except for Christ and Christ only. Do you seek him? Second question on the test. Do you behold him? So East River Park um, takes a lot of hands on deck to just make this thing run well. We need greeters. Um, we need people to clean. We need people on the property team. We need people in every area of ministry. We need people to love and to serve and to financially give. These are all good things. It takes a lot of people using the gifts that God has given them to make the local church run smoothly. Um, and I'd say we always need more people to get off, off of the sidelines and continue or at least start to serve the church. But let me be very clear. The local church is not about what you and I bring to the table. The local church is about what God has done and continues to do on our behalf. Meaning we gather to behold the Lord. Verse 2, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. When did the church become about beholding ourselves? When did the church become about beholding Bible teachers? When did the church become about beholding programs and events. This isn't about you. It's not about me. This is about the Lord and his power and his glory. Do you behold the Lord? Is, is that what holds your attention? Or do you need us to, to entertain you? Because we won't. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Well, go up. Go on up to the high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll, he'll gather the lambs in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. Christ, the Lamb of God, has died on our behalf. Christ, the shepherd, has gathered us into his arms. Here's the thing, that the more our heart beholds the Lord, the, the more the Lord transforms our heart. That's how it works. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I mean, what a thing to behold for David. 
You know, there's probably not a lot to look at in the wilderness, except despair and frustration and anxiety. But David in the wilderness remembers the time in the sanctuary where he looked upon the Lord. Not David's power, but the Lord. Not David's glory, but the Lord's. I'm going to guess that our problem is that we might be beholding the wilderness and not beholding the power and the glory of the Lord in the wilderness. Does that make sense? Do you behold him? Does he have your attention on Sunday? Does he have your attention on Monday through Saturday? Do you behold him? Third question on the text. Do you praise him? Do you praise him? In many ways, the pinnacle of this psalm, verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life. Now, that's a statement of affection from the heart, that we live in a culture that's looking for love. People, I mean, people, regardless of where they're at in life, just want to be loved. That's not a coincidence. It's a God-given desire to be loved by someone other than yourself. And men and women will chase that dream all their life, and some will find a person to be with, someone that gets them, someone that understands them, someone that they can relate to, and men and women will declare, I have found the love of my life. And I'd say within the boundaries of, of God's word, that can be a, that can be a beautiful thing. But the greatest desire of the heart is not to find the love of your life. It's to find a steadfast love that's just better than life. That's, that's what the Lord is offering to you and to I. Not a temporary love. Not a love that bails when things get difficult. Not a love that just ebbs and flows with seasons. The Lord is offering you and I a covenant, steadfast love that's better than life. Because it's eternal. It's paid for by Christ Jesus. It's sealed with the Holy Spirit. Simply to have a heart of praise that praises him is to have a heart that understands just how deeply it's, it's truly loved. And look at the actions that are taking place in verses 3 through 5. That praising the Lord is not just some intellectual thought. It's an action. Because your steadfast love is better than life, here's the action. My lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live, here's the action. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, here's the action. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So, so yeah, we don't have music on Sundays because we need to fill like some time slot. We have music on Sundays as an opportunity for us to gather as, as a corporate body for our hearts to respond and praise. Yeah, worship, it's, it's got to be orderly. Yes, worship must be organized. But worship is a heart position that leads to an action. So we sing to the Lord. It's Christ-exalting worship. You don't have to lift up your hands during worship, but it absolutely is a biblical and physical response to an internal heart of praise. It's Psalm 150. Verse 1, praise the Lord, 
Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute, the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and the dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Maybe just turn the music down. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you praise him? Do you sing to his name on Sundays? Do you sing to his name during the week? That a heart that's been rocked by the gospel, it's just not going to be a silent heart. It will overflow to many actions, praise certainly being one of them. Do you praise him? Fourth question on the test. Do you meditate on him? So verse 6 we move from the morning hour until the evening. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. That verse is an Old Testament call back to the night being divided into three watches of four hours each. So you can see that in Judges 7.19, 1 Samuel 11.11, Lamentations 2.19. And so often a group would be sent out in those blocks to watch and wait for the enemy throughout the night, which gives us just this greater appreciation for what David is saying here in the psalm. I remember the Lord while I lay in bed. But I also meditate on the Lord when I'm up in the watches of the night, in the quiet, in the darkness, in the unknown of the night. I meditate on the Lord and what he's done. What a powerful reminder for exhausted generations. Here's what I think happens at night. We lay in bed and think about all of the problems in our life. And we hit replay on the day, or maybe the past few weeks or months and years, and we watch reruns of our failures and the things that cause us stress. And some of us, maybe a lot of us, eventually just get sick of meditating on our own problems, and so we grab our phone and meditate on everyone else's problems. And then we all wonder why our mind is exhausted, our hearts are filled with grief. And the simple answer is found in verses 5 through 6, because we've been meditating on the horizontal and not the vertical. We've been remembering what we have done, or lack thereof, but not, not remembering all that the Lord has done for us. David, in the darkness of the wilderness, reminded of God's faithfulness. The Lord has chosen and anointed him, that the Lord gave him victory over the lion and the bear and the giant, that the Lord took down the Philistines, that David meditated, just meditated on the Lord. And several days ago, I, I, I just laid in bed and I hit replay on all of the bad memories of the week and really just that, that day. And I felt that sickening dread growing inside of my stomach. And, and I tried to st stop and just, I just prayed a simple prayer. God, you've been faithful. And you know, I'm not the savior of this situation or, or these people, you are. 
and then I fell asleep. Doesn't always work that easily, um, but that's the direction we must head. Is your heart hitting replay on what you've done or what Christ has done for you? In the wilderness, we remember. In the wilderness, we meditate on him. Psalm 143, 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. And I ponder the work of your hands. Do you meditate on them? Fifth question of the test. Uh, do you cling to him? Verses 7 through 8. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So our three children, they're getting older, but when they're scared, they still run to us in the middle of the night. Like they don't, they don't stay in bed and just tough it out. We can hear them running down the hallway to our bedroom, and when they get to us, they will feel safe. We cling to the Lord because he is our help. He covers us in the shadow of his wings. His right hand upholds us. We run and cling to the Lord. That's not just some emotional experience. To cling to the Lord is just to constantly trust in the promises of his word, whether you're on the mountaintop or in the wilderness. That what he says will come to pass. We cling to him. Philippians 2, starting in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So then the day of Christ, I, I may, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain in this Crooked and twisted generation, we hold fast, we cling to the words of life. Same storms, he put it like this. To cling to God is to say, stay so close to him that no sin can get between you and him. To cling to God is to strategically plan for time alone with him for prayer and praise and the study of his word. To cling to God is to trust in his promises, to seek his favor, to care only for his approval and not for that of men, to invest time in his service, and to always keep his praise on your lips. Do you not see it in the word that as we cling to him, his right hand is the one that upholds us? That even when it feels like your grip is slipping, and when it feels like you can't hold on much longer, Look at the end of verse 8. Your right hand upholds me. That as we cling to the Lord, his steadfast love and his right hand upholds us all the greater. So do you cling to him? All right, so um, I took the professor's advice. You need to read more carefully. I didn't like it, but I took the advice. And I tried even harder to pass those tests. And I watched the lectures and took diligent notes. And I read the assignments and wrote pages and pages 
of the material. I took the advice, I studied for the test with even more fervor. And guess what happened? I still failed. <laughs> yeah, I did a little better. But I failed every one of those quizzes. Here's the reality. You can look at those five questions and go home and do the best you can to live them out. I hope you do. Um, I hope I do. I mean, we need to. We're called to. But the rea reality is, is you're not going to pass. There will be days when you don't want to seek the Lord. There, there will be days when you have no desire to behold the Lord. And I'll take that a step further. There will be Sunday mornings at church when you don't care about beholding His power and His glory at all. There will be days when you would rather praise anyone or anything but Christ to exalt yourself over the Lord. There will be days when you meditate on all of your problems and you'll fix your eyes on all the drama of yourself and those around you and you'll lay in bed and think of every anxiety in your heart and forget about the Lord. There will be days when you don't cling to Him. Sure, you'll, I mean, you'll wish the day was going better, but you won't cling to the promises of His Word. Even with best intentions, you and I, we're just going to fail the test. Which is why the last question is so important. Let me give you uh, the main question. Does your heart belong to him? Verses 9 through 10, David's got some enemies out to destroy him. That was clear from the beginning. He shares the future of those enemies. They shall go down into the depths of the earth. They have been given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. The mouth of liars will be stopped. How is that possible? Is it because David's so awesome? Is it because David always passed the test? No, that wasn't it. Even David had some really bad days. No, salvation is found by faith in the Lord. Salvation is found by who you belong to. So does your heart belong to the Lord? I'll end with Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord with your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. So for sure, we seek the Lord with all of our heart because our heart belongs to the Lord. So does your heart belong to the Lord? Let's pray together. God, we are thankful uh, for the conviction and the encouragement that your word gives us. God, that we would be a people that pursues righteousness. But God, we're thankful for the reminder that in all of the ways that we fall short, there is one that is greater. 
Christ Jesus did pass. That Christ Jesus did die on the cross for us. That Christ Jesus did rise from the dead. That Christ Jesus did hand over his righteousness to us. And so God, I, I pray more than anything that we would look at what our heart belongs to. That our heart belongs to you and to you alone. So God, I, I pray that you would do whatever you want with uh, this message, God, that even during communion, that your will will be done, not our own. And so God, we're thankful to gather together and study your word, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.